Welcome everyone to part four in our series looking at the book of Jonah. I'd love for you right now just to grab your Bible and we're going to be looking mainly at chapter two uh, today. Uh, But before I do that, I just want us to just look at something briefly as an introduction at the end of chapter one. Um, Jonah uh, has been thrown overboard. Uh, The sailors realize that he is to, to blame for the storm and then Jonah is thrown overboard. And then you have this moment. I'd love for you to turn chapter 1, verse 17. It says this, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And here we have one of those classic God moments. It's what I call a but moment. You see it throughout the the scriptures where God intervenes, God interrupts through his sovereignty, through his providential plans. It's just a moment where everything looks lost, completely lost. Um, And then you have God who steps in. And uh, as as a follower of Jesus, the reality is I just don't believe in coincidences. But I definitely believe in God incidences. I've, I've seen it so many times in my life, in other people's lives, um, as we open our hearts and open our lives to Christ, the reality is, is that day by day, week in, week out, we will see the divine, sovereign, providential hand of God working in our lives, that his fingerprints are all over our lives. If you were to blow the dust off our circumstances, you would see his plans and his purposes. You know, things can't get any worse for Jonah. They really can't. He is, he is rock bottom and he's running away from God in resistance. He's not returning to God in repentance, but he's running away from God in resistance. And he eventually uh, comes to a place that we see in chapter one, we looked at this previously, uh, where he's in that place of escapism in the belly of the ship. But now we have the ultimate picture of one who is completely lost. He's literally all at sea. He's been thrown overboard And the image of a storm, the image of the raging seas is the author's way of saying, look, things can't get any worse for this young prophet. And here's the reality. He has brought it all on himself through poor choices. He has brought all of this upon himself. And uh, he's been going down to, to Joppa, we read, then down into a ship, then down into the depths of a ship and down into the depths of the ocean, and now into the depths of a fish. And it's interesting throughout the Bible, there's, there's many references actually to the obedience of animals in comparison to the disobedience of humanity. It's, it's like a continuous theme. Um, you have here a fish who is commanded and indeed appointed by God to do this. Uh, we looked previously at the, the birds in Jeremiah. The, you've got the ox in Isaiah. You've got Balaam's donkey. So many moments where God, in his sovereignty, orchestrates circumstances and creation from storms to animals 
of course, to justly deal with sin and disobedience, but in order to get our attention and to teach us. And um, there are some beautiful moments that we're going to look at in chapter 2. And, and really, it, it, there's a title for today. It's, it's Lessons from a Fish. Lessons from a Fish. What can we learn about this incredible moment that we've all heard about, I'm sure, in Sunday school and in various ways. But this is profound, what happens here. And um, as, as I look back over my discipleship, and uh, my years of following Jesus, uh, the reality is that some of, the, of my most excruciating and frustrating and difficult and painful moments have been the most formational in terms of my call, discipleship, walk, and Christ-likeness. And here we have this moment with Jonah. He's at rock bottom. He can't get any worse. He's completely lost in his resistance. But until he was stripped of his self-sufficiency, was deliverance then available? He needed to be stripped of his self-sufficiency. And then we begin to see the mercy and the deliverance and the grace of God. This is the journey that he's been on and it can't get any worse. And I found this so often. And as, as we return back to the Lord and come back to the Lord, uh, we're certainly seeing this on a huge scale right now in terms of um, this global pandemic. Globally, many, many of us have been stripped of our self-sufficiency. Many of our options and solutions uh, we've, we've run out of. Um, there's no more room to, to go. It, it reminds me of that verse in Psalm 139 that we've been hemmed in before and behind. Uh, it's, we've just completely exhausted options and all other avenues. It's like we're in a cul-de-sac of life. And we see this in the, in, in the parallel story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son. And uh, that story is, is you have this, this son who um, takes his inheritance, who leaves um, home, and he, he just squanders everything. And um, he loses everything. And he wants to come home. And finally he returns and he repents. And um, we have this story beginning to unravel here. And I've seen it so many times in my life and other people's lives. And I want to ask you today, are you, are you finding yourself like you're in that boat? Or do you have a, a, a child or a relative or a, a colleague at work or a neighbor someone who you know of or do life with, where the reality is is that they're just at the end of themselves. They've just exhausted all of the options. And um, I believe it's those people right now in our season, in this pandemic, they are ripe for rescue. They are ripe for returning back to God. And, and that's why we as, as followers of Jesus we must embrace the humiliation of, of just getting things wrong, of, of failure, so that we can be fully reliant and dependent on the Lord. It's only when we truly own our own brokenness and our own uh, pain um, that we can be delivered. It's only when we've reached 
the end of these options and our self-sufficiency that we say, do you know what? I cannot go on. I need the divine intervention of God to bring me back to him and to bring me back to the call of God upon my life. And here we have in God, moving heaven and earth in order to get your attention. And I've seen this so many times over my life, particularly as uh, I've raised other leaders. And I've said to them, look, God will even forfeit the ministry that you lead and, and oversee in order to deal with things in your heart, in order to deal with things in your character. I've seen it so many times. God is so interested in the detail of our lives. He is so attentive. He is doing things behind the scenes. He's setting us up to a place of where we say, enough is enough. I must come home. I must return home. And like in Luke 15, like the father in response to that returning, you know, as we return to God, he returns to us. As we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And you've got that picture of the father, father God of running towards his son, to, rest, to, to hug him, to, to bring him back home, to put a, a ring on his finger as a, uh, as a, a posture of, of restored identity, throwing a party, such as the, the lavishness of grace and mercy of our God. We see it how God sent Jesus to save humanity dying on a cross for humanity, for you and for I. He's so involved. He's rolling his sleeves up, diving in into the mess and to the pain and the brokenness and the dirt of, of, our, of our world and of our lives. It's interesting also that Jonah and indeed our repentance is not just a return to God, but it's also a return to the call of God on our lives. It's only when we experience failure. It's only when we experience the pain of rejection do we actually see the providential hand of God leading us back into our call and into our destiny. You know, it took years of pain, years of growing up for me to be led to my wife and now three beautiful children. It took years of, of um, wilderness seasons and rejection to lead me to be a pastor and to, to serve in that way today. God will bring an end to our self-sufficiency. He really will. Now, if you've been reading your, your Bible in one year, uh, you will have read recently regarding Jacob. Uh, and there's another example. There's so many examples. You know, he was not ready to lead the family of God, and so he, he, he was forced to flee his home, and he, he suffered and experienced mistreatment. And it was only then did he meet God face to face and we could look at Abraham and Joseph and David and Elijah and look at Peter in the New Testament. Huge seasons of failure, huge seasons of suffering before they ever led. It's only when you reach the bottom, the depths of your self-sufficiency, it's only when we're exhausted and weary from exploring all the options, are we actually then open to depending on God? You know, you never realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. 
Jesus said you must lose your life in order to find it. It's the upside down paradigm shift of the kingdom of God, that the only way up is the way down, that the way to lead is through serving, that the greatest among us is the least among us. And now we see something so amazing, is that we see that prayer and the place of prayer is found in Jonah's plight. It's found in the true expression of dependence. Friends, the reality is is that dependence and surrender drives us to a place of true prayer. So I just want to read seven verses of this prayer. So picking up at chapter two now, it says this, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. The essential revelation of prayer for our lives and that we see here in this moment with Jonah is this, that God is strong when we are weak. God is strong when we are weak. Here we have an incredible, eye-opening, jaw-dropping revelation for Jonah regarding God's grace. This is where true justice and true mercy and grace meet and kiss. This is a moment where mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the beginning of his revelation to then announce that mercy triumphs over judgment to the city of Nineveh. And here we see this revelation comes through three things. It's a combination of hard circumstances where poor choices means that just exhausted all other options. And so it's really tough. He's he's all at sea. He's, He's broken. He's a broken man. Secondly, an understanding of the gospel that God rightly deals with sin and yet extends grace to the sinner. And thirdly, prevailing prayer. When we have those three things happening is when we get a true understanding and revelation of the grace of God. Jonah finally understands grace. And I, I, I really pray that we as a church discover that grace for our own lives and our grace for our world particularly as we start out um, this last week in our 21 days of prayer and fasting, that that will be a continuation of that, that we will see that, that that this 21 days of prayer and fasting isn't necessarily a return to prayer, but it's actually a return to the heart of God. It's a return to this understanding of the grace of God over our lives. This isn't about let's do 21 days of prayer and fasting, let's see kind of what pops out the toaster for us. It's not like, hey, you know, if we get what we want and we get more stuff and we get growth, then it was worth it. God will kill that. He'll kill that thinking in the place of prayer. Jesus isn't a stepladder into our destiny. He wants to kill our destiny and give us his 
destiny. It's, it's a life of union with Christ that doesn't matter that if we're in the wilderness with him for the rest of our lives. It's just Jesus. It's Jesus that we want. It's Jesus that we want as a community. It's posture over plans. We want Jesus. And when we return to Jesus, he returns us back to the call upon our lives. And here's what I've found in life, and I think it's what we're discovering right now, is what certainly Jonah witnessed, is that when, is when pressure meets presence, then you get prayer. And prayer here for Jonah is an expression of his journey of understanding true grace. And so to really understand that, we need to grasp these three things. We need to understand our need of God. Read this prayer. This, this, is, this is a man who understands his need of God. He talks about being in distress. He talks about being from the depths of the grave. He talks about being hurled into the deep. He talks about being uh, banished, about life in the pit, about life ebbing away. And it's a complete contrast to, the, to today's therapeutic age of self-help and where uh, moral standards are all relative. Now, if, if you want to understand true grace and the true mercy of God and the rescue and the wonder of God and a life of prayer, you need to know that there is divine justice and that we all deserve it. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Jonah gets it. Jonah knows it. He finally knows it. Secondly, we need to know that to fix this means we can't fix this. And this is just a real kicker to all religion, which we often find also in our Christian faith, just trying to do good things or gain brownie points or regain favor with God by uh, jumping through hoops. We all do it. But here is the ultimate revelation in this journey and process of understanding grace is that we can't fix this. We can't fix the problem. We can't fix ourselves. And Jonah recognizes this in verse six, that he is sinking and it says that his bars are closed upon him forever. He, he, he's barred from God. And I was thinking about this, is that so many people right now across the world are looking to other people. They're looking to other leaders and to politicians and prime ministers and presidents, just looking for some kind of hope, looking for some kind of answer, looking for someone somewhere to fix our problem. And the reality is, is they can't. They never will be able to. It's a false hope. It's a counterfeit idol. We must come to a place of utter submission and surrender. Say, I can't fix this. It's foolish to think otherwise. And then the third truth is understanding how costly the salvation is that God provides. We can't fix this, but God has fixed this. Here is the place of wonder. Here is when we return to God with a life consecrated to him because of what he has done. And it's only when we get a revelation of what Jesus has done for us on the cross that he has fixed mankind's biggest issue, which is sin is that then we as followers of Jesus begin to share our faith out of a grateful heart. We begin to make good choices because of what he's done for us. We're not, we're not interested in entitlement, what we can get out of things, but we just surrender a posture of worship 
because of what he has done. We're lost in, in awe and wonder for who he is. We let the call and his desires and his destiny in our lives be the anthem of our lives. We return to God as we understand true biblical grace. When we get a revelation of grace, that is when we truly return to God wholeheartedly. You know, verse four and verse seven twice, um, whilst in the fish, he mentions, uh, in, whilst he's in prayer, references to the holy temple. And of course, in the Old Testament, uh, people look to the temple. It's interesting, this is where Jonah was looking. In this moment of crisis, he's looking for mercy. He's looking for the presence. He's looking to the temple in his mind because sacrifices were made at the temple for sinful people. And Jonah's been running away. He's close to death and now his mind goes to the temple. And of course, here we have the incredible connection of Jonah and Jesus. Three days and three nights. Three days, three nights in the fish. Three days and three nights, the cross and the resurrection. It's a foreshadowing that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for sins. Of course, Jonah didn't understand that at this point. But it's recognizing that this cost, our sin cost Jesus his life to atone for our sin and to redeem us. And so we see these parallels, don't we? That Jonah went the way of death, so did Christ. That Jonah stayed in the grip of death for three days and three nights, so did Christ. Jonah returned to the land of the living, so did Christ. Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites and Christ was assigned to the people of his time. And of course, subsequent succeeding generations, including you and I. This is why Jesus references Jonah in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12. We see here we need to resurrect the value, the true understanding of justice and grace. You, you can't grasp the, the awesome grace and the love and the mercy of God that we see upon Jonah unless we grasp his divine justice. And people say, oh, come on, I mean, give Jonah a break. And um, all he did was make some poor choices and he ran away. And of course, that was completely understandable because of the circumstances that we explored in, in part one of this series. But you see, even that, we have subtly cheapened a view of God's purity and God's holiness and God's righteousness. We've begun to set our own bar and plumb line based on our hearts and upon what we see in the world. Even earlier regarding the sailors when they cast lots, there was an understanding that justice was somehow in some messed up thinking was required here. So there must be a realization of the depths of our sin to then truly grasp the depths of the mercy of God who has stooped so low among us, which is Jesus Christ. He has sunk below and gone to the depths so that he can lift us up. And we begin now to see the turning point. The turning point as, as Jonah goes to Nineveh. Because here's the reality. Is that when we truly understand grace and we truly understand mercy. And we're truly in that place of prayer. Where we're done with self-sufficiency. Is that we realize that mercy always moves us on. Mercy moves us on back to the call of God 
on our lives. It washes you up back to your calling and moves you into a life of sacrifice. And we see, the, again, the parallel, don't we, with the sailors and Jonah, both offering vows and offering sacrifices. Mercy motivates us and moves us to wholehearted return and discipleship that's radical unto Christ, to give ourselves to him, to give everything, to just lay it all down, to give our hearts, to give our minds, to give our mouths, to give our bodies, to give of our finances, and just say, Lord, in, in response to your mercy and grace, I've had a revelation is it when we are moved into our calling of just forsaking all and following him. And church, I really believe that this is um, what the Holy Spirit is saying and doing in us. He's showing us things as we, as we return back to him, return back to his heart, and return back to the call of God on our lives. So be encouraged today about how the Lord is he's in the detail. He's in the detail. He's, he's leaning in right now and he's speaking to us. He's putting an x-ray on our hearts. He's showing things up and so that we can grasp the mercy and the goodness and the grace and love of God so that we can be moved back into our calling. I hope this has helped you today. Uh, continue to read Jonah uh, in your quiet times and allow God to speak to you through these passages. We love you. God bless. Take care.